Good morning and welcome everyone to this week's episode of the Executive Athletes Podcast. And I want to thank everyone that's been listening and thanks everyone for suggestions, tips, who we should be talking to, who we shouldn't be talking to, what should we should focus on. And it's been awesome. So thanks everyone. Keep your feedback coming. I love it. Um, and this week's guest is a total rock star. Um, she's probably the epitome of the executive athlete, not that anyone else is, but she's, she's really pulling it off. Um, and her name's Jenna Powers. And I'll give you a little bit about her bio and you'll be blown away of what she's done. And one of the things we were talking about earlier is that when, when you're at work and you're going late, or you're going early, it's, it's perfect training or mental training for endurance racing. So Jenna Jenna Powers, who is our guest this week, Jenna is a 50-time marathoner and ultra-marathoner since 2014, and she has completed races of up to 206.5 miles. She believes strongly in the intersection between endurance, sport, and career success, and works passionately to help others seeking to improve themselves in both areas. When she's not running, Jenna leads a global team of over 200 people as a director of recruiting operations for Amazon.com. When she's been where she has been employed for seven and a half years in a variety of capacities, including labor and employee relations, training, leadership development, and M&A. And I would be her biggest nightmare in the recruiting world. Um, she holds a JD from Benjamin Cardozo School of Law at Yeshiva University and a BA of Communications from the College of New Rochelle. Um, some of her runs and some of her race experiences are phenomenal. She, decide, she decided to run her first marathon at the Great Wall of China in 2014 and found the meaning of life. So, Jenna, welcome aboard and tell us how you found that meaning of life out there running and give us a little bit about your story. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Ken. I was really, really excited to talk to you. I've been following you for, for a while and just love the podcast um, so yeah, so I've been, you know, I've, I've been marathoning and ultra running for less than five years at this point. The anniversary of that Great Wall of China run is in May. Um, and I was never a really big runner um, at all um, growing up and whatnot. I was, I was the kid in gym class who would cheat on running day. Um, get my friends to count laps for me, you know, disappear into the bathroom, like those kinds of things. Because just running was just not my thing. Um, and as I got into adulthood, uh, I think like a lot of us, you know, you want to do what your friends are doing, and you want you, you like that social aspect of it uh, to the extent there is a social aspect to to endurance activities. And so I do a five k here and there with some friends. Um, worked my way up over time to run you know, a half marathon once a year with friends for which, you know, I would train, you know, for 12 weeks, but training for me was running two times a week, um, no real plan. Um, and, and I would do that. And, and that was really kind of all, all that I was really into. And as I was approaching 40, as many of us do, right, like such a milestone birthday, and I was sort of getting there, I, I, I started thinking about, you know, my life and, and I was 37. And what am I doing? What have I done? And, um, and, and I did think about uh, I did think about a marathon as being a, a bucket list item, and I thought, well, you know, maybe I should run a marathon just to say that I did. Um, I can do one, I can be done, I can check it off the list, and then you know have a have a new goal next year was the way that I thought about it. And I chose the Great Wall of China Marathon as my first. Uh, a lot of people around me 
could not understand why I would ever choose that to be my first marathon. Uh, it's routinely considered one of the hardest marathons in the world. Um, I think since since then, I, I've come to realize that it's considered one of the hardest because it's qualified as a road marathon, when in reality, it really is more of a trail marathon. So when you compare it to road standards, it is incredibly difficult. But when you compare it to most trail runs, it's actually uh, not quite as difficult. But um, at the time that I signed up, I, I found a training plan online. I did a 20-week training plan. I was, I was very devoted to my training. I wanted to enjoy the experience and enjoy the race. And, and in that also, because I didn't have anyone around me that had ever run a marathon before, I didn't have anyone to ask for advice. I got all of my advice online from blogs, from magazines, and I subscribed to trail runner and ultra runner and running and marathon and beyond and runner's world. And I would just read them to get, you know, tips about everything. And in reading those magazines, I very quickly became enamored with ultra running through the magazines, uh, because again, I'd never run longer than 13.1 miles, but, but I just, there was something so special and so magical in reading the articles, particularly about ultra running, that I kind of knew in the back of my head that this was what, this is what I really wanted, was, was longer than 26.2. And so on May 17th of 2014, I crossed the finish line of the Great Wall of China Marathon, and I was like, this is exactly what I'm meant to do with my life. I'm meant to run really long <laughs> and really far. And to be clear for all the listeners, because I would always, you always hear those stories about people that later in life run their first marathon and they come in third and, and that's, they're like, this is what I was meant to do. That was not me. <laughs> I, I came in in the middle, um, which is for the most part where I tend to finish uh, all of my races. But, but, you know, regardless of finish time, I, I just felt like, you know, this is, this is what I meant to do. And, and by the time 2014 was over, I had run two more road marathons. Um, less than two years after that first marathon, I had run my first ultra, which, which was a 52 miler, um, and really kind of, kind of never, never looked back on the running. And you said sort of, you know, you found the meaning of life. What, you know, what do you mean? What, what, what does that mean to you? Because I think, people who aren't endurance athletes don't really know the, the dark places and the good places you can go. And it can be at the same time when you're, <laughs> when you're a day into a race. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, it feels so good. Like that's, <laughs> that's all I can think of to say. Like I, um, yeah, I have never done drugs, but when I hear stories about the first hit somebody's ever taken, that's, I think about ultra running. I think about like, oh, it must feel exactly like that. Um, it's, it's this, it, it hurts. It's a high. Um, it, you see things out there um, and see the world in ways that I don't think anybody else gets, gets to see the world um, in the dark, in the light, in the heat, in the mountains, in the valleys. Um, I, the way that I think about it also, and particularly ultra running is there are so few, um, so few things that happen in life that on the front end, before you start it, you know for a fact you're going to be a different person when it's over, right? So like if you think about kind of, of seminal moments in your life, like the it, things that change your life, 
and, and oftentimes you think about things like a, a death or something like that, which oftentimes happens out of nowhere. You didn't plan for it. You didn't know it was coming. It just happened. Um, I think ultra running, um, I've never had a child, but that's the only other thing I can think of. When you wake up in the morning and you know that when this day, when, when I next go to sleep, my life is going to be different and it's going to be different forever. Um, and ultra running is like that, particularly when you, when you walk up to the start line of a hundred miler, you know, the next time you go to sleep, I'm not going to be the same. The person going to sleep tomorrow is not the same person who's standing here right now. I'm going to be a different person. And that to me is so, so powerful. It is. And I, and one of the things you were saying is my favorite thing is racing for multiple days is the sun rises and the sun sets. It's just, and you're in a surreal space, I think, during the event, which then sort of heightens, like you're saying, I've never done drugs either, sort of heightens the, the senses. And that's really where I remember probably more from the races are, at, you know, it's sunrise and sunset. And it's just, it's absolutely amazing to see. Yeah. And, and I think what's so interesting too is in racing, you can replicate it, right? Mm. Like, right. I mean, every race is different. And some races are sort of more powerful than others for a lot of reasons you can't put your finger on. But, but, but you replicate that by racing, which I also think is, is, is completely amazing. Right. Now, now talk to us about, you know, you're a high level, you know, you've been in the Amazon for seven and a half years. You're running a 200 person team. Talk to us about time and training and when do you really pull this stuff off? Yeah. Time management is a big one, right? <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a big one. It's a big one for all of us, um, for sure. I think I, I learned early on a couple of things. One is um, you own your time. Nobody, nobody is going to manage your time for you. Um, and I think that's a really important one also because a, a lot of people will say, well, I have to go to this meeting. I have to turn in this project. I have to do this. I have to do that. And again, we all have requirements all of us have bosses um, that have expectations for us, but, but I think your schedule, you are far more in control of your schedule and your time sometimes than you think you are. And so for me, it's getting really clear on what I need my schedule to be to accommodate the other parts of my life. And, and for me, the, the biggest and most important other part of my life is the racing. So um, I, I run before work. I'm an early riser. Running in the morning works for me. It feels really good. It doesn't feel like a sacrifice. Um, getting up early to do that is not a problem. Um, but right now, for example, I have a large percentage of my team in Europe. I sit in Seattle. That time zone just stinks. <laughs> that, that there's only a couple of hours in the morning for me in Seattle. That's a couple of hours for my team in Europe at night. Um, we don't have a lot of overlap. And it was hard at first when I, when I took on this particular team because I found myself being scheduled and scheduling meetings early in the morning such that it conflicted with my running. Because it's not fair to ask the team in Europe to stay really late at night because that conflicts with their lives as well. And I, I just sort of, um, in thinking about it, said, you know what, like, I'm not going to do this. I am not, I'm no longer going to take meetings before 8 a.m., um, I can't do it. It's too disruptive to my running. It's too disruptive to my life. But what I am going to do is one day a week, I'm going to shift my entire schedule earlier in the day. I'm going to start, I'm going to work from home. I'm going to start super, super early in the morning and I'm going to knock off in the middle of the day. 
And so it's still a full work day, but I get a lot more time with the Europe team. I can schedule my Europe meetings on that day. Um, and it means I can run in the afternoon um, instead, which I, me, I am more tired in the afternoon, but that's where we talk about, you know, I actually think this is really beneficial for my ultra running because as you know, a, a big part of endurance sport is like, you're not fresh fit. You're fresh at the beginning of the race, but by hour 10, hour 12, hour 20, <laughs> you're awfully exhausted. So the fact that one day a week I'm doing a run after having worked an entirely, an entire workday is actually not a bad thing for training. No, and, and it re-energizes you for the rest of your afternoon as well. You think it's going to be more exhausting, but a lot of times it just gets you, it resets your body and resets your day. For sure, for sure. And the other thing that, I'm, that I do is I do, I love traveling. Um, and I've been really successful, I think, in weaving in work and work travel and race travel um, as well. And, and as a result of that, I've gotten to race in, uh, I've gotten a race in some really cool places. I raced in, I've raced in Europe. Um, I've raced in Dubai. Um, and that was a direct result of work travel as opposed to just, um, kind of going on there out there on my own. I sort of, you know, and I think it sounds like you have it. It's sort of, I've got this philosophy, no extra steps, right? So if you're going to go to the grocery store, how many things can you do between that one trip to the grocery store so you don't run out four extra times? Or say you're going up to, you know, you're working from home and you need to change your laundry when you're going to the bathroom or something like that, right? You know, or just all these little things that add up to huge time savings. So you can go run for an hour or you can go run for an hour and a half or that type of stuff. I think as an executive, as someone who wants to be an athlete, you're really, like you said, time, you, you can't get time back. So how can you use time to the best advantage possible for you to, to reach your goals? And it's not just athletes. It could be artists. It could be people that are passionate about music or, or anything. Um, we just happen to be, you know, athletes and that's our passion, what we go after. But I think there is a big correlation too, between people who have um, a passion inside of work, but also have a passion outside of work and you actually do better at both. I think, I, I think nothing could be further or I, I, th I totally agree. <laughs> um, I, I think for me, what I think is super interesting is when I look back, um, as you said, I've been with Amazon for seven and a half years. Uh, I got my first promotion at Amazon at the same time as I, as I ran the marathon, which means as I was like in the run up to my promotion, I was in training for my first marathon. I do not think that was a coincidence. Um, no. I, I think absolutely they were feeding off of each other. And, and since that time in the last four years, five years, I've had three other roles at Amazon, each m with more responsibility than the last. And each one has coincided directly with a kind of large, scary race endeavor. Um, including the, the role that I'm currently sitting in. I started, I started on August 28th of last year. On August 14th, I finished the Bigfoot 200. Wow. That's great. And th yeah, exactly. And it's, again, it's, there's the difference between being busy and being efficient, right? I think a lot of people, they are getting work done. A lot of people think that if they're busy, they're working and it's, it's not, it's, you know, how efficient are you to actually get the work done? And if you can get an eight hour work day done in two, God bless you. Right. And you know, there's plenty of times when 
we all want to need to do, we work eight hour work days and it takes 15 hours sometimes as well on the, on the other side, but it's really focusing on that efficiency and having your running shoes in your bag. And if you need to just sneak out for half an hour, an hour and come back, boom, it's, you know, it's a, it's an hour and five minute turnaround versus a lot of people think that it's a three hour turnaround to do something like that. And it's not. It's yep. like, all right, boom, I've got seven minutes now to get ready. I got to be out the door. If I go for 52 minutes, I'll be back and I'll be back at my desk at, you know, 58 minutes ready to go. Well, and I think too, we, we all, I like to say we all make choices, right? Like, yep. you know, you could say, well, I, I, I don't have time. I didn't have time, but you know, there's time to watch TV for two hours before bed. You know, there's, yep. <laughs> there is, there is we all have the same amount of time. Um, it just depends on what you choose to do with that time. Yes. No. And that's what I, yeah, it's, you watch all these people watching football games on Sunday for four hours. That could be a four hour bike ride. That could be a four hour run. That could be four hours of getting your shit done. So you can go running later on something like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. You know, of doing these races, what's your favorite race? Which one you know, did, did you like the best or have oh, you gosh. liked the best so far? I feel like I can't choose just one, <laughs> yeah. but there's, there's for sure been some, there's, there's for, for sure been some, some really, really memorable ones. Um, certainly completing big, Bigfoot this past summer. That was my, that was my big 218 goal was to do the Bigfoot 200 um, in Washington, which is 206.5 miles, but it has 42,000 feet of elevation gain as well. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, I signed up for that race because it was the most terrifying thing I could think of. It, it's also incredibly remote um, as well. So I, I think the longest period of, t- period of time that I was out there without aid, and I didn't have a pacer either. So without aid and kind of without human contact was about eight hours. Um, and that was, uh, you know, I just love, it was special kind of be, beginning to end was, was just really, really special, including, you know, the other people that were in, involved in the race. Um, you know, I think back to my, my first ultra, which was called the bear bait ultra. It was 52 miles in Florida. Um, it was a loop course. It was a four mile loop course, which a lot of runners will, you know, just balk at that kind of course right. because it is uh, fairly tedious. Um, I I've run a couple of races like that. I did a, I set the course record at a 13 hour this past summer. That was a 1.5 mile loop in Seattle. Uh, and, but the reason I, I think those races, I have such fond memories of those races is because in almost every race I am by myself. So I have no pacer, I have no crew, I have no family with me. Like it is just me. And so to be able to go and over the course of many hours, essentially make a ton of friends. Um, and the volunteers are always amazing. Like I've walked away from those races just with a, a really special feeling in my heart for, you know, other runners and, and volunteers um, and the like. So I think those have been, those have been memorable. Those kind of smaller races, smaller family style races have been memorable for sure. Um, and then I've had a couple of memorable races that were memorable because of weather. Um, you know, I, I got hypothermia at hundred K in 2017. That was certainly memorable. Um, I, I, I finished a hundred miler a year ago. Uh, in North Carolina, and it rained for 22 hours, and then it snowed for an hour, and 57% of the field dropped out. Um, I finished. I was the eighth woman overall. I finished nice. in a in a really good time that I know obviously would have been really better if not for, better if not for the weather, but it, it was what it was. And so, you know, doing those kind of things, 
you know, again, it, it's hard to describe to people. People don't understand. But, you know, when you, when you run for 24 hours, 22 of it in the rain and one hour in the snow, you are a far more resilient person. You know, you're a different person mentally when you finish that race than when you started. And you're more powerful in all the other areas of your life as well. Yep. What do they say? It's not epic until, until it's hard. And that's yeah. really, it's uh, those storms and being in that stuff. It does change you. But I think, you know, and a lot of people talk about, oh, I don't want to go train in the rain or do this or do that. And once you're wet, you're wet, right? <laughs> so within the first four or five minutes, it's going to suck. But if the listeners are struggling to go out in crappy weather or rain or snow or anything, once you're out there, you're out there and your body sort of just shifts into a new mode of, of really being successful. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting that you say that too. So I live in Seattle, so I get wet a lot um, on, on runs. And I ask myself when I look out the window, and again, it's super early in the morning, it's dark, it's raining, and I'll, I would obviously rather stay in bed, just like everybody else would rather stay in bed. But I say to myself, like, well, if it's, ra if it's raining on race morning, are you just going to skip the race? Um, and the answer is probably not, because I've probably flown somewhere and to go to the race and, and, and whatnot. But, but that's what I sort of tell myself. But David Roche, who is a coach, and, and he writes quite frequently, I think, for a lot of different um, magazines and, and blogs and the like, had this article about your mindset and how your mindset changes your performance running. And, and in his article, he specifically talked about Courtney DeWalter at this past year's um, Western States because it was so hot. And that she had the, just this really positive attitude about not getting all spun up about the fact that it was so hot. Um, and the article really resonated with me. And in fact, I dropped him a note because this 100 miler that I ran um, in North Carolina, I had run once before. It was the only other 100 miler I had ever run at the time. And I thought I could go under 24 hours. Um, I thought I was trained for it. My previous time was 2546. Um, I, I thought I could do it. And when the forecast became clear, like when it became clear what the forecast was going to be and it wasn't going to change, I was like, it's going to be, it's going to start off at 50 degrees. It's going to rain for 22 hours at, at, at 2 PM in the afternoon, it, the temperatures are going to start dropping and it's going to settle in the thirties. Like that is a recipe for hypothermia. That is not a recipe for a PR <laughs> in, in a race. And so I was just like, I can get really upset about it or I can just be like, it is what it is. And, and I decided, you know, it is what it is and focused instead on like, just, just enjoy being here. Like to the extent that you can enjoy it, just enjoy the fact that your body lets you get out here. If nothing else, you're going to have one hell of a story when it's over. Um, and don't worry about anything else. And, and as I said, you know, 57% of the field dropped out. I was the eighth woman overall. And I finished in 2443, which didn't break the 24 hour mark. Um, I lost two hours changing my clothes over the course of the race to avoid hypothermia, which again, right. I've had, I've had before in a race and it's highly unpleasant. Um, and, and I was like, you know, like this is, this, I think that did it. Like, I think that that the difference between me and the people that DNF'd wasn't that I'm fitter or a better runner. Um, I, I think it was that I, I decided something different um, in my head, which is, and, and to be fair, I was, I was very prepared with, the, with clothing and, and I was, you know, I knew exactly what the weather was going to do. So like, there was no surprises for sure. Um, but and I that, think there was a big difference in the mindset. 
Well, I think I remember this quote by Lance Armstrong. He was at the line of some race and, you know, the pouring rain in Europe. And he, w- he said to one of his teammates, hey, look around here. He's like, 90% of these guys are already defeated. It's time to go out and win. And it's so true because they get defeated by the cold and they get, let that get into your head. And if you use that as strength, it totally changes everything. Mm-hmm. And, and even the race um, in 2017, the 100K, when I got hypothermia, I finished that race. Um, and it wasn't until I finished that we finished and went directly into a, into a local high school uh, auditorium because the weather was so bad. It wasn't until I walked into the auditorium that the EMT saw me and put, I, I went on, on oxygen. I was, they, they threatened to bring me by ambulance to the, <laughs> to the hospital. Like it was, I, I didn't know I was that bad either, to be fair. I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't know I was in as much sort of physical distress as I was apparently in. But I was telling somebody else's story at one point. Um, because I did feel, they said, weren't you cold? I was like, yeah, I was cold. But, you know, you're cold a lot when you're out there running. Like, I didn't know I was in bad, as bad a shape as I was. But they said, why didn't you just stop, right? Like, the weather's horrible. You're cold. Like, why didn't you just stop? And I was like, it, it actually never crossed my mind. Like, it, it didn't occur to me that stopping was an option. Like, I was finishing. It was a Western States qualifier. So for me, like, I'm, I'm trying to get into the Western States lottery every year. Um, you know, that, that was the main aim. So I knew I needed to cross the finish line in a certain amount of time, and that's what I was going to do. Um, and I, I think that kind of, you, you can decide. Like, you can decide I'm going to do this, and you, or you can decide I'm not. And, and I've also had the, the reverse in races as well. I got, I got lost in a race this year for the first time ever, like really super lost. Um, and I DNF'd. And I was with someone else and, and I gave up in my head long before he did, which again, I didn't realize until and it was only in hindsight that I realized like when we got as lost as we did, I looked at my watch and I decided there's no way we're going to make it to the aid station in time. And I was done at that point. And he kept pushing. And, and while we both got, we both got pulled at the next aid station because we were late, he got there 20 minutes ahead of me, even though we had run the first portion of the race together, like step for step. Right. And, and it was solely because like in my head, I was like, I'm done. Like this, this race is over. And he didn't, and he didn't give up. It is, it, it, you know, and it's that no quit mindset. And sometimes, you know, sometimes you just have to quit. Right. And it's like, all right, you know, I'm moving on, but it's no matter what, it's like, here, you've committed to it, go out there, do it. And when I was coaching all the time and coaching ski racing and different sports, I would always tell the kids, <laughs> This is, you know, you can never quit. You got to keep going because um, you can always make the team if you're the guy who just keeps working harder and you never quit, number one. But number two, I always, I always tell them, too, the faster you run, the faster it's over. And they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, hey, you run, you know, you run this mile in six minutes. It's done in six minutes. You want to suffer for 10 minutes, go, you know, go at a 10-minute pace, you know, that type of stuff. Four minutes makes a difference. But um, what's on, you know, what's on your calendar next and, you know, where, what do you, what are you looking to conquer? Yeah. So, you know, it's hard to top a 200 miler, I think, <laughs> I right. think. And, and, you know, I was, it, again, it was such a great experience. I am confident I will do one or more again one day, but if that wasn't something I wanted to do again this year, um, I have, I'm going to try to go sub, sub 24 in a hundred miler. Um, I'm going to do the burning river 100 in Ohio in July. Um, so I'm excited, um, excited about that. I, in the run up to that, I'm also going to try to go sub 12 in a, in a hundred K. Um, and I'm going to do that and try that in, in March. Um, I'm going to do rim to rim to rim. Um, 
which again is just sort of like a fun run, right? Like, right. <laughs> which I'm um, pretty pretty excited about doing that. And then um, I'm also a friend asked me to pace her at Leadville, uh, so I'm going to pace the last last 50 miles at Leadville. So I figure for someone who who again didn't get into Western States this year, um, being able to get on that Leadville course uh, it, to help someone else out, I think is pretty special. So I'm I'm excited about that. So talk to us about training. You know, how do you train for these? Yeah, so I, um, I'm on a six-day-a-week training schedule. So I, I run six days a week. I weight train two days a week. Um, I, I have, I think probably what's unique about my training schedule as an ultra runner is I don't do back-to-back long runs which that kind of long Saturday, long Sunday, I know is the staple of a lot of ultra running plans. Um, That's how I started. That's what I did. About a year and a half ago, I read this really impactful article that Eleanor Fish wrote, and she's a a runner um, and holds a lot of like mindfulness and wellness camps. And she wrote this article about training stress and the fact that, you know, whatever's going, if, if you have any other stress in your life, that actually impacts, it's, it, it goes onto your, your training load, um, even as a runner. And she made this point that if you work and your off day from running is a work day, it's not really an off day right. because you have that sort of like training stress and, and work stress and whatnot. And, it, and that was an epiphany for me because my off day had always been Mondays. And the reason I chose Monday as my off day is because I often traveled for work. So I would be on a flight first thing in the morning and, you know, have a like super long day. Uh, and, and I had this like epiphany that like, oh my God, if I use her logic, I haven't had a day off in two years. And so I need to revamp some things. So I totally turned my schedule upside down. I, I take Sundays off completely. So Sundays is like a full rest day. I don't work on Sundays. Um, and instead what I do essentially is I, I do, um, Monday is, uh, is an easy day. I usually do anywhere between 90 minutes and two hours of running. I also do all of my runs by time as opposed to by distance because I am always sort of training for ultras. So Monday is, Monday is 90 minutes to two hours of running. Um, Tuesday is 30 minutes of running with an hour of weight training. Wednesday, again, is 90 minutes to two hours of running, uh, easy running. Thursday, 30 minutes plus an hour of weight training. Friday, I do speed work. Uh, I do speed work anywhere from one to two hours. And then Saturdays, I do a long run um, to include sometimes I, 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 I race a lot, but oftentimes it's just a training run that's you know, supported. So I do that on Saturday. And so what I try to do with speed work Friday and long run Saturday is replicate that back-to-back sort of thing that most ultra runners get on Saturday, Sunday. Um, but I try to do it by combining speed work on Friday, long speed work on Friday with a long run on Saturday. No. Awesome. Uh, and yeah. what's a long run? How many hours? Four or five hours? Um, yeah. Four, four. Usually start at four. Anywhere four. Like if I'm by myself, just kind of around the neighborhood, um, I'll go four to five. Uh, I will always look for at least a marathon just because it's more fun <laughs> right. um, than being by yourself. So I'll, I'll usually, if, if there's a marathon or longer marathon or 50 K around within a two hour drive, that's always what I will do um, is, is marathon or 50 K. Awesome. And you would, you know, let me step back here of how you reached out to me a couple of weeks ago. We're talking about the podcast and you had mentioned, and it's totally, you know, it's not by happenstance, but you know, mentioned that there were a lot less women on my podcast than men. And it's not by purpose. I think it's just sort of, 
you know, the world out there of athletics. What do you think, what are you seeing in the rise of women, you know, in sport and ultra running? I know, like I said to you earlier, my two kid, my two, I have two girls that are athletes and what I've seen, and they're both ski racers. And when I was a kid, there were no girls ski racing. And now there's more girls ski racing than, than there are boys at the ski races. And I don't know if it's because they see, you know, Lindsey Vaughn and Michaela Schifrin and those guys, or is it, you know, they're coming out of their shell more and really just saying, Hey, you know, I'm the same as a boy. I can go out there. I can make it happen. What are you seeing, you know, as females in sports? Yeah, I think, um, so first of all, I think ultra running there, there continue to be more men, um, in ultra running than women, um, for sure. Uh, I, that's definitely changing. Um, and to be fair, again, I've only been in the sport for five years. Uh, so I've not been in the sport that long, but I know it is, it is changing. You can visibly see it change, which, which is great. Um, there are so many amazing women out there just like tearing up the course in oh, ways they're beating that, all the guys. Exactly. That yeah. again, I, I, um, I, I, I've tweeted before that, you know, again, I've woken up proud to be the same gender as Courtney DeWalter. Right. Like, oh, it's just, crazy. <laughs> you know, just doing some, some really, really amazing things. But I think for the, for the non-elite, right, for the kind of everybody else out there, it's, it's, hard, it's hard to know what's possible if you can't see it. Um, and I mean see it quite literally. Like if you can't see your, literally see yourself there, um, it's hard to, to know what you might be able to achieve. And so I think it's incredibly important for other women and men to be able to see women out there, see women out there on the trail um, and see that it's possible that like, oh, somebody like me could do this. Somebody that works a full-time job can do this. Somebody who's over 40 <laughs> um, can do this. I'm also a woman of color. That is something you almost never see in ultra running. And so guess what? You know, women of color can be ultra runners also. And, and so I think your podcast is a great platform for that, for them to be able to see and hear from these women that are doing amazing things that figure out you know, how, how to juggle, how to, again, it, it is, we, I just saw another article, I think this morning saying that, you know, even though household chores are beginning to be more equal, that mothers continue to do the majority of child rearing and, and household. And so if you see a mother who is an ultra runner, I think about Candace Burt, who, um, who has the triple crown of 200s and who just ran the Hurt 100 in Hawaii this past weekend. An amazing example, um, and she's a mom. And, and so to have women out there that show that you can be a mom and be an ultra runner, and, um, and, and it just, it's a sport that's open to everyone. And I think the more, that, the more examples of different kinds of people we can see out there, the better. No, that's huge. And I think, again, it's, it's having that exposure and I think you nailed it. It's, you know, it's seeing more, it's hearing more, it's seeing what, you know, what elite women are doing, but you don't even need to be, you know, an elite woman. I get it's, uh, uh, you know, my kids are always, you know, they're starting to really see and focus on it because I think there's a lot more, uh, a lot more in the press about it too. And I think that's a great thing that really inspires, you know, girls and women to go out there. It's funny. I, I go to CrossFit as well. In addition to my training, because I really think there's a good mix of strength and, and fitness with running and cycling as well. But 
there's going to be 50, 50 men to women in the CrossFit gym now. I mm-hmm. think, you know, ten, even, you know, five or 10 years ago, it wasn't even close to that. And now it's, it might, you know, in some days it's even more women than there are guys. It's, it, it's sort of crazy. Well, and I think at the, at the half marathon distance nationally at this point, I think there are more women than men. Marath- well, I, don't, I don't believe marathons are quite 50-50 yet, but half marathons are, have, have gotten there already. Right. So tell us, you know, we're coming up here on a little over a half an hour. You can get back to your work in, in Europe and changing the world in Amazon. <laughs> um, tell us, you know, where can people find you? Where can, you know, where can they read about you? Uh, you know, I, I see you've got a couple of websites here. Tell us a little bit about that and where they can yes. follow you. Yeah, so uh, I do have I do have a blog, uh, 40bibs.com. It started a couple of years ago when I, t- when I actually turned 40 um, in 2017. I ran, uh, I, had a, I went on a quest to run 40 races and to sponsor 40 other runners running races of their own. And so I do keep that blog uh, live. Um, I'm probably more active on Twitter, uh, and I'm on Twitter at jpowerstweets. Um, uh, I'm also on LinkedIn from a business standpoint. Again, if anybody's thinking about like, how do I, how do I really balance? How do I set off on this ultra running thing? They can find me on LinkedIn as well. Perfect. Perfect. Jenna, thank you very much for being part of this. It was awesome. I think we covered some amazing topics and good luck in your, in, in your next adventure. Yeah. Thank you so much. This was great. And I want to thank everyone for listening. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, email me at kenandtheexecutiveathletes.com. And if you think you'd be a great guest or if you know of anyone that would be a great guest, feel free to reach out. Make sure everyone goes out there, trains hard, and keep a balanced life. Have a great uh, great rest of the day. I'll, we'll be back uh, down the road. Talk to you later.